morning, Keystone. Uh, I need your participation to start out this morning. Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to do anything uh, weird, but I, I need you to uh, pull out your phone, if you can, with me. Uh, so pull it out. Uh, open up your camera really quick, uh, whatever phone you have, and get to the camera. Uh, and as you do that, then I want everyone to, to stand up. When you stand up where you're at, just stand up for me. Uh, and, and get your phone ready. You, you can lift it up kind of like to your chest. Hold out, get ready to take a picture. And, and now you can sit down and put your phone away. Okay? And open up to Genesis if you want. Here's what I'm guessing you're wondering right now. Uh, what was the point of that? What was the point of that? Why did Kyle have us do that? And, and if I told you, there was no point of it. I just had you do it for the sake of doing it. Here, here's what I guess. If I asked you to do the exact same thing next Sunday, you'd have a different response. Some of you probably wouldn't do it. You'd sit down and say, no, this is pointless. I'm not going to do it. Others of you maybe would do it, but you'd do it begrudgingly. Like, all right, I guess I'll do it just because I'm being told to do it. Others of you would maybe make up your own purpose. Well, it's good for me to, to stand up. Helps me get exercise and wake up on a Sunday morning. So I'll, I'll stand up because, because I'm going to do it for my purpose. The, the reality is none of us like doing things just for the sake of doing them. Like we want to know what's the point? What's the point behind this? What's the purpose for it? Why am I doing this? And I think how much more should we want to know that when it comes to our work? We, we spend a lot of time in our lives working whether inside the home or outside the home, whether paid or unpaid. I mean, just think about your week and how much time you probably spent working in some way, some way. And, and we should want to know, what's the, what's the purpose for my work? Like, is there some great purpose for all that I'm doing, both big and small, everything that may feel important and everything that may feel unimportant? And the Bible, I think, in many ways answers that question by pointing us to who we work for and to how God is at work through us. To who we work for and how God is at work through us. Uh, I can remember one job I had that, that felt particularly, um, I, I felt like it was a struggle. I felt like it was frustrating and I didn't like doing it. It was a job where uh, for a time I, I was essentially just screwing bolts into aluminum helping to build a trailer of tractor trailers. And I remember just struggling as I go to work day by day, thinking, this, I don't see the point of this. It's, it just feels, it feels like busy work. I don't like doing this. But, but I imagine that scenario, and I think, how would have it changed if I found out, I was told, hey, the truck that you're building, it's a truck that's been ordered by Taylor Swift, or whoever your favorite musician is. You don't have to have Taylor Swift. And she is going to use it when she goes on her music tour across the U.S. this upcoming year. I'm guessing it all of a sudden would have transformed how I thought about that job. Because now I'm working for someone great, and they're going to use this truck for some great purpose. And it would have transformed how I thought about screwing bolts into aluminum day by day by day. How much more should the fact that all we do, all of our work, is ultimately for God and that he's at work through us transform everything we do day by day by day when we really grasp that 
and believe that. This is part of what we find in Genesis 1 and 2. You can open up there this morning. We'll be in a couple different verses in there. But what we see, I think, overall is that we work for God and God works through us. We work for God and God works through us. That, that should transform how we go about our work from day to day, whatever it is, whether we're students or business owners, mechanics, construction workers, teachers, nurses or doctors, truck drivers, farmers, stay-at-home parents, grandparents, volunteers, or whatever else your job is. If it's ultimately done for God and he's at work through you, that should transform how we both think about and carry out our work. In light of Mother's Day, I'm especially going to highlight kind of the work that, mom, that God has called moms to this morning as I go throughout this sermon. And I don't say that to a neglect of fathers, like some of the things I say about moms applies to fathers as well. And all of what I say this morning should be able to apply to whatever work you do, whether you're in school, whether you have a job, whether you're working around the house, whatever you do, you, you just might have to think a little bit more about how does this apply to my current stage and my current work in my life. Here's where we're ultimately going to head this morning. We're going to read some verses in Genesis 1 and 2, and we'll expand out a little bit again, and then hope to see the, the dignity of work, the purpose of work, the curse on work, and the rest for work. Dignity, purpose, curse, rest. That's where we're, we're headed as we look at work this morning. So let's pray, and then we'll read starting in Genesis 1, 26. Father, we believe that you are a God who is at work. Uh, that, that you, though you rested from your work at creation to enjoy and celebrate all that you've made, we don't believe that means that you stop working, that you're still at work in our lives, that you're still at work in our homes, that you're still at work in our jobs, that you're still at work in every single aspect of our lives. And, and I pray this morning that in some small way or maybe some big way, you'd help us to connect our work, what we do day by day by day to your work so that it might give us a new sense of joy and purpose as we head into the areas you've called us to in this life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in Genesis 1, we'll read verses 26 through 28, and then we'll jump to a couple of verses in chapter 2. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And this is the key verse then for this morning. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Jumping down to chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. First, we can see in Genesis 1 and 2 the dignity of work. There, there are two kind of shocking things about what we just read. Maybe more than two, but I think two that should stick out to us. Here's the first one. God works. God works. 
work is not beneath God. That the whole story of creation in some ways is about God working himself. God doesn't create humans so that he doesn't have to work. Every other story at this time of creation when the Bible's being written is about God's creating humans so that they don't have to do the dirty work. And yet Genesis tells us God does the dirty work and it's good and he enjoys it. It's not beneath him. Which then leads to the, the second shocking thing, I think. But, but I want to pause and ask a question before I highlight that. It may seem like we're going off in a different direction, but we're not. What, what is your own personal version of paradise? Think about that for a moment. And what I mean by that, I'll clarify that. If you could picture the perfect day or the perfect week in your life, what's that day or week look like? What's that picture? Here's the picture that kind of jumps to mind for me. I'm somewhere on a beach in the Caribbean at an all-inclusive resort, and it's about uh, 84 degrees and sunny outside. Maybe that's similar to your perfect day, perfect week. You know what's not part of my picture of paradise? Probably not part of yours. Work. You know what's part of God's picture of paradise? His Garden of Eden, his perfect world that he created in the beginning? work. That, that can be shocking to us, I think, because there's this tendency to view work almost as if it's a necessary evil, or maybe we wouldn't say evil, but, but it's just something that's necessary so that we can then enjoy the good this life has to offer. And Genesis and the whole Bible from the start says, no, 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 no. Work is part of the good life God has designed us to enjoy. Like that, that can feel shocking. That, that just as much as we might say marriage and kids and relationships, friendships and food and drink and beauty and rest are really good gifts from God. So also we should say work is a good gift from God that we should receive and enjoy. And, and if work is a gift from God, then there's great value in hard work. I, I know I'm, I'm probably just speaking to the choir in a Lancaster County congregation, but, but think about that. There's great value in hard work. For you to be able to work, and if you have kids, for you to be able to model and teach that to your kids. Moms, whether you are a stay-at-home mom and all your work happens kind of within the house with your kids, or, or you also work outside the home, you have the opportunity day by day to both teach and model to your kids the value of hard work and to demonstrate that it's a good gift. If I can just brag on my own mom for a minute, and I do that because I would guess she's reflective of a lot of Lancaster County moms. She, she raised three boys, which in and of itself is an incredibly difficult job. But not only did she do that, while she did that, she started her own daycare to care for other kids so that she could help put all three of us through private school. And then after her day was done in some ways, and she had done the exhausting task of taking care of three young boys, she would often go outside to work in the flower beds or this big garden that we had. I would, I would guess that same image is reflective of many moms in Lancaster. To see and be taught the value of good work is, a, is an incredible gift from God that you give your children. And, and I would just say with that, you, you should as parents or as moms expect and teach your kids to work 
teach them, obviously age appropriate, but, but to instruct and teach, there's value in work. It's a good gift. Yeah, yes, it's difficult as we're going to get to, but, but it's a good gift first of all from God. And, and then the second thing we can also see, I think, from these chapters in Genesis is that all work matters to God. I, I should put a disclaimer there and hopefully like state the obvious when I say that, that work that is in and of itself sinful or promotes sin uh, matters to God in a bad way, that, that he wants to eradicate the world ultimately at that. But, but work that is good, any type of work that is good, matters to God. We could just stop and ask, what, what types of work do we find God doing in Genesis 1 and 2? What types of work do we find in Genesis 1 and 2? We, we find intellectual work, right? God plans, designs, engineers creation, and then does the work of naming creation and calling man to name animals as well. We find manual labor, right? God gets his hands dirty as he picks up the dirt and forms a man from the dirt. And then God plants a garden. He's a gardener. We find medical work as God does surgery on the man to pull out a rib and then create the woman from the rib. We find creative work as God makes creation beautiful and good, pleasing to the sight, we're told, of the trees. We find parenting work as God brings forth and nurtures human beings. See, God's doing all different types of work, even in these first couple chapters, showing that no work is beneath him. Now, why, why is that important? Why is that important to see that? There's always a tendency in us to elevate certain kinds of work as more valuable and demean or denigrate other kinds of work as less valuable. And, and really what we're doing is saying the people who do these jobs are more valuable and the people who do these jobs are, are less valuable. Like we, we can do that within the church. Maybe you feel this. Where we can talk in such a way where we, where we communicate whether accidentally or on purpose, hey, if you really want to do work that matters, you should be a pastor or a missionary or, or if not, then a nonprofit worker. And if, you, and if you don't do those jobs, well, then you should just make as much money as you can so that you can give to those things. That, that's not bad, but that's also not all there is to the story. And guess what? The Bible gives us a gardener before it gives us a pastor, long before. Like church work is no more significant than whatever work God has called you to. Or, or in the culture, we, we, we tend to elevate high-skilled jobs that, that earn the most amount of money and then we kind of denigrate like low-skilled, maybe manual labor that, that is lower earning. Right? Or maybe if you're in a, a manual labor job, you kind of look down on those who are in offices, right? Desk jockeys. They don't know what it is to work. They, they, don't, get their hand, they don't have calluses on their hands. See, we all, we all tend to applaud certain type of work and then kind of look down on other type of work. But God shows us all work. All work matters. When Life Action was here, they did this, uh, they did a message on work, and one of the things they did in that was they, they set aside a time where they had, uh, they called out different professions, different types of work, and then they had everyone who was kind of in that category stand up, and, and then the rest of the congregation was to applaud for those people. It was kind of neat, but, but we could have stepped back and in that moment realized something I think even more significant, and maybe we did, and I'm just forgetting it, that in that moment, as you stood up in whatever profession you're working, God was applauding for you. God was applauding for you. I said, your work matters. Like, it's important to me. What you're doing is massively important. What I've called you to is significant. Be because the reality is, 
who cares if other people ultimately applaud for our work? Like, who ca- yeah, it feels good, but, but who cares if other people see my job or your job as significant? What matters in the end is, does God care about it? Does he see it as significant? Does it matter to him? And Genesis 1 and 2 says, yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it absolutely does. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. I just want to say again, Brandon already kind of hit on this, but moms, your work matters so, so, so much. And here's, here's the route. You may not feel highlighted. You don't get a paycheck unless you work outside the home too. And you may rarely be thanked. And that may, think you, that may cause you to think, my, my work isn't as important. But you, in caring for, loving, and nurturing a human body, a human soul, someone made in the image of God, is massively important. Far more important that, than whether basketball players win the 76ers game today or not. Although they're going to get, obviously, more of the airtime than you as a mom. Your work matters in every single moment of it. God sees and he values. And that applies to not just moms, but, but all of the jobs that, that we may work. Because whatever work you do provides the opportunity to reflect God and to love and serve other people as you work. To reflect God and love and serve other people as you work. We find the purpose of work. There may be more than just these two, but I'm going to highlight two. That work is, first of all, a way that we honor and reflect God. Work is a way that we honor and reflect God. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, speaks of us being made in the image of God. And, and we've hit on that in the past two weeks, especially talking about the value of humans made in the image of God and what it says about who we are. But it also speaks of what our purpose is, that we're called to reflect God, to be like him. Not, not completely like him. There are ways that we're like him, ways that we're not like him. But to reflect him in this world. And part of how we do that is in our work and our labor. It's, it's interesting that the things God does in creation are the very same things he then calls you and I to do as we work. So God, God brings order from chaos by forming the earth. And then he calls humans to go and subdue the earth. To continue to bring order and flourishing and goodness from this world that he's created. God fills the earth with good things. He forms it and then fills it. And then he calls humans to what? Multiply and fill the earth. And that doesn't just apply to having babies. Like it applies to filling the world with good things that benefit other people and make this world better. And God plants a garden. And then he calls the humans to work and keep the garden and that image of gardening is in some way reflective of all the work that we do in our lives. Here's how Tim Keller puts it. He says, gardeners dig up the ground and rearrange it with a goal in mind. To rearrange the raw material of the garden so that it produces food, flowers, and beauty. And that is the pattern for all work. It is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular, thrive and flourish. How does your job or the work you do and the different tasks you do help the world in general and people in particular to flourish? Your family, the people you're working for, 
the, the products you're making? How does it help the world in general and people in particular to flourish? That's what our, our jobs are meant to do as we reflect God. God. Moms, again, whether you stay at home or you work outside the home, you're helping the world to flourish by helping your kids to flourish. Like as you, as you clean the house, as you do laundry, as you get kids where they need to go week by week, like you are bringing order from chaos or in reality, keeping everything and falling into chaos, right? As, as you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you are subduing the world. Like you might think I'm overstating it, but what are you doing? You're taking bread, peanut butter, jelly, forming it into something that is helpful and beneficial for your child so that they can grow. As you teach and instruct and model godliness to your children, you, you are raising children in, to be image bearers who spread throughout this earth and fill it with God's image in whatever domain he calls them to. But whatever job you work, think how does my work help the world in general and people in particular to thrive and flourish? Well, here's, a, here's an opposite way to ask that. Ask, what would happen if all of a sudden no one in the world was doing my job anymore? What would happen? How would that affect people? How would that affect the world? And you'll start to see the significance God has for your job if you start to realize that this is what would happen if my job would just disappear, taken away. Because we see that work is a way that we love and serve our neighbors as well. In, in whatever job you have, in whatever work you do, again, I'm, I'm not just talking about paid jobs, and I'm not just talking about those who are in a career, like it's those who are retired as well, in the work that you do, even in retirement. In whatever work you do, in some way, you love and serve other people. You're called to love and serve other people in that job. And, and I don't just mean your, your coworkers. I, I mean the people who you're working for in the midst of that. We might ask, well, how, how does my work love and serve other people? In whatever way your job benefits other people, you love and serve your neighbor. In whatever way your job benefits and helps other people, you love and serve your neighbor. And, and as we do that, we should recognize God is at work through us to continue to love, care for, and provide for people in this world. God is at work through you to continue to be a source of his goodness and common grace in this world. Let's, let's, just, let's just stop and, and pause and, and think about that for a moment. We believe God provides food for people, right? That we pray for our daily bread. How does God answer that prayer? Through the farmer, through the trucker, through the grocery worker, and through the market stand owner and more, right? That's how we get our daily bread. That's how God answers that prayer. We, we believe God works justice in this world, albeit justice in this world right now is imperfect at times. But, but how does God work justice in this world? Through the government, through the police officer, through the lawyer, and through the judge. We, we believe God cares about our bodies and can heal our bodies or help our bodies. How does he do that? Through the doctor, through the nurse, through the surgeon, through the physical therapist, and more. We, we believe God cares about our well-being. How does he do that? through the counselor, through the social worker, through the physical trainer, and more. Through the people who build homes, so we have homes to live in. We, we believe God cares for little children. How does he do that? Through moms who change diapers, feed, and daily care for their children. And through teachers who teach and instruct children day by day by day. Like, don't get me wrong. God can do all of that without us. He doesn't need us. But I think part of the point of Genesis 1 and 2 is that God chooses to do it through us, 
to carry out his work in this world through us, using us as his means of grace to other people in whatever job he's called us to. Here's a way to maybe picture that. My dog needs to be fed every morning and every evening. Every morning, every evening, my dog needs to be fed. Now, I could very easily just feed my dog by myself, and sometimes I do. But there are lots of times where I'll stop and I'll ask my son, hey, Oliver, would you like to feed Mozzie? And and he's still kind of at the age where he'll happily say yes to that. Uh, But what happens then is I I open up the dog food, the the tin it's in or the, the box it's in, I scoop out a cup, and I hand the cup to my son, and then he walks it over to the dog dish and dumps the food in the dish. Who fed my dog in that scenario? Both of us, right? Like, like I was making sure my dog was getting fed. And how did I do it? Through my son carrying the food over and ultimately dumping it in the dog dish. Your work is a way, the way, that God most often cares for other people, continues to provide for them, continues to nourish them. See, how, how you view your job matters. Listen to me. Is your job just a means to make a paycheck? Is it just a means to make a paycheck? Just a means to provide for yourself and your family? Not that that isn't good and helpful, but I would guess if it's just a means to make a paycheck, it will be a grind no matter what. Or, or is your job a way that God is cha- using you as a channel of grace and goodness to other people? Because if it is, You've got a really, really good reason to wake up in the morning and go to work, no matter how difficult it may be, because God is at work through you. So we've got to think about how does my work connect to what God's doing in this world? How does my work love and serve other people? And the more we do, the more we have a purpose for our work and why it matters. But we have to recognize while while work is a good gift, where God's ultimately at work through us, we also feel there's something wrong with work. Or if you don't, I'll take your job, right? Like if you don't feel there's anything wrong with work, I'll take your job. Because we all feel there's something wrong as we work day by day. Just like last week, we have to see that sin affects everything, including our work. That there's a curse on work. That word on is really, really important because work is still good. It's still a gift but sin has affected it and caused it to be cursed in some ways. Let's read again in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. We referenced this last week. After Adam and Eve sinned and eat of the tree, God says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We, we experience a type of futility in our work. We're, because of sin, there is now this grind to work. The weeds we pulled yesterday need pulled again tomorrow. The problems we dealt with yesterday need dealt with again today. The successes in our jobs are like, yes, this is meaningful and good, and we fade really quickly. 
and are replaced with new challenges. Think of just a a picture of this maybe as a mom, as a parent. Picture with me that, that moment where your baby is crying and you're trying to put your baby to sleep and they fall asleep in your arms. Like, yes, all right, quiet. But then you've got to complete that all-important transfer from your arms into the crib. Right? That transfer matters. That's more significant than an Olympic runner passing off a baton. You better do that well. And you, you bend down over the crib and you take the baby and you, you put the baby down in the crib. And they're still asleep and you, you walk slowly to the door and you open up the door and you step out. And you just want to yell and pump your fist like, yes, I did it. Someone recognized this. And before your feet hit the bottom of the stairs, you hear the baby start crying again. You just hang your head, walk back up the stairs, and you do it all over again. Like, isn't that a picture of how, in some ways, all of our jobs feel sooner or later? That work can feel more like a grind than a gift. Because we have to do the same things over and over and over and over again. And because of sin, work doesn't always produce the results we hope for. Do you see what it says? We plant seeds and instead often harvest thorns and thistles. How frustrating is that? I plant a seed, and I I want, I was going to say tomato, but I don't like tomatoes, so what's a, I I want a a nice big cantaloupe. I plant a seed, and instead all I have when I go back out is thorns and thistles. That's so frustrating. There's this recognition of there's both fruit and fulfillment in our work, but also lots of frustration as a result of the curse of sin. The, The frustration with coworkers not doing what, we think they should. The frustration with machines breaking down at exactly the wrong time, right? Why does the printer go out when you use the printer? What? Breaking down. Frustration with contracts falling apart. Frustration with a product that fails. Frustration with kids that seem to disobey when they obey. Or or the frustration may be that your body no longer allows you to work how you want to work. Whether because of age or illness, where you think, I want to work. I want to work. And and yet my body won't allow me to do the things I used to do. While there still may be work for you, that's so difficult in the midst of that. There's this frustration and grind to work that can make us feel like our work is pointless. Like there's no, no purpose to it. And, and just as sin may cause us to question the purpose of work, it can also cause us to twist work and misuse work in some way. We're prone to make work into something it was never meant to be. In the beginning, how do humans find ultimate value, meaning, and security? Where is it found? In their relationship with God, right? In our relationship with God. Ultimate meaning, ultimate value, ultimate security is found in I know God. When that relationship is fractured by sin, what happens? We start to look for ultimate meaning, value, and security in all sorts of other places in our lives. And and one of the ways that we can look for that is in our work and what we accomplish in it or what it offers to us. If we jump ahead to Genesis 11 and a familiar story at the Tower of Babel, we, we get a picture of how work can be misused. We see that people are building a city and a tower, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's good in and of itself. But then we find out why they're doing it in verse 4, and we hear these words. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. 
and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, what's happening here? These people are using work and what they can accomplish through work as a replacement for God. How are we going to find value and meaning and security? Let's build a really, really tall tower. That'll show them, right? Rather than saying that we're going to look for it in God and relationship with him. Work is good, and it's part of what gives us meaning and value and identity in this life. But work, is, work and what it offers, uh, fulfillment or accomplishment or finances, is never meant to replace the need for God. And if it does, things will quickly start to fall apart or will fall apart, both with us and with our families and other people around us. Here, here's a way, I think, to, to maybe picture that in a very different context. I love coffee. I've told you that before. I love coffee. It's a really good gift from God. It smells good, it tastes good, and it's caffeinated. Three things I give thanks to God for every single day. Coffee's a good gift. Coffee was never meant to replace my need for sleep. And if I try to make coffee take the place of sleep, I will start to fall apart very, very, very quickly. If you and I, in the same way, try to take work and put it in the place of God, We say, it's my job, it's my money, it's my accomplishments that give me meaning and value and significance. Things will start to fall apart because we'll be enslaved and other people will be harmed by it. Again, just just think about this in the context of motherhood. Moms, if your value and your worth and identity is ultimately wrapped up in being a mom, your life will rise and fall with how well your kids are doing day by day. And whether people say they're good kids or misbehaving kids, or or whether they're successful or whether they're a failure in the world's eyes or whatever it might be. And and your kids will feel the weight of that pressure and it will be a burden. Or or what happens when when all of a sudden you're not a mother in the way that you once were and your kids move out, then it feels like life isn't worth it like it used to be. Or or, or maybe you have to try to control your kids' lives in trying to be a mother like you always were rather than adjusting to stage of life. Any work we do, if we look to and say, I'm looking to this as a source of ultimately who I am, my meaning, why I'm alive, and my security, it will enslave us and it will harm the other people around us. When we look to work to provide us with ultimate meaning, value and security. In some way, we're trying to save ourselves. Here's why I think we could picture it. We're trying to work our way back into the garden, right? We're trying to work our way to a place where we can finally rest. How many of us, think about this with me, how many of us approach work in some way like that? I'm going to work hard so that one day I can rest. I'm going to work hard so that on the weekend I can rest. Or or when I get my next vacation, then I can rest. Or when I accomplish something great with my life and can hang my hat on that, then I'll rest. Or when I finally retire, then I'll rest. I'm going to work, 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 and one day, then I'll be able to rest once I've done enough. And the exact opposite is what the Bible teaches us, that we can rest even as we work because the work of you being saved The the work of you being able to enter back into the garden, enter back into God's presence, one day be with him forever, has already been finished. And there we find the, the rest for work, that you and I can rest in the work that God has done 
for you. You probably have heard many times the famous words Jesus says on the cross in John 19.30. It is finished. And what he's saying there is not just that my work is finished, I've done what God's called me to, but also that the work that is needed to save you and I is done. Done. The work that's needed to justify you, done. The work that's needed to ultimately regain entrance to the garden, done. The work that's needed so you can find meaning and value and identity in God, done. It's finished. And as a result, we no longer have to work, look to our work as a means to regain what we lost in the garden. We don't have to prove ourselves or gain an identity because Jesus has already done that for us. And, and like when we know that and we believe that, guess what can happen? Work can just be work. It can just be work that we do to please God and to love and serve other people. And it doesn't hang on how well we're doing in that moment. T- Tim Keller has probably used the, the most famous example, I think, to capture this, which you've maybe already heard, because uh, I think he uses it in almost everything, every single sermon he preaches. Uh, it's an example from the movie The Chariots of Fire. Uh, it's a movie that's about two Olympic runners who are set to run for Olympic gold in the 1924 Olympics. And so it's based on two historical characters. Uh, one of them is Eric Liddell, who would go on to be a missionary in China. A- and Eric Liddell was probably the, the favorite for the race. And ultimately, he, he ends up withdrawing from the race because it's set for a Sunday. And based on his convictions on the, on the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath, he says, I'm not going to race on that day. And what's interesting is as he talks to his sister at another point in the movie, uh, he, he tells her, you know why I run? Because when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Love that image. When I run, I feel God's pleasure as I run. The, the other character in the movie that follows is a, a man by the name of Harold Abrams. And as he talks about running the 100-meter dash or the 100-meter race for gold, he says this, I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. It's such an incredible picture of the way we can approach work. I wonder how many of us sometimes wake up feeling like day by day by day, I've got to justify my existence. I've got to prove my value. So I better work hard. That is a soul-crushing burden to bear. And yet the, the gospel frees us instead to say, no, I, I don't have to do that. I don't have to prove my existence. I don't have to justify my... Jesus already did that. I'm free. So now I can work to feel God's pleasure as I milk cows, change diapers, mow lawns, fix cars, build, ha- build houses, care for patients, do taxes, or any other type of work. I can work knowing that God's pleased in my work. And then we can also, as a result, rest knowing that God will use our work. Even though sin's curse makes work feel futile and frustrating and makes us question whether it has any point, when we work seeking to be faithful to God and to love and serve other people, we can trust that God will use our work, whether we see the results or not. I I love how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 3. He's talking here about the context of ministry, but I think it applies to all work. He's saying why people shouldn't boast in him or any other Christian teacher. And he says in verse 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Do do you hear what he's saying? Everyone has an assignment from God. That where you're at right now, and and the ways that you can use the skills and gifts and talents he's given, that's your assignment, right? It may change. It probably will. But right now it's your assignment, the the job you have. And in that assignment, we work, and then we trust God with the results, right? Paul says, I planted someone else's water, but guess who gives the growth? God does, so I'll entrust it to him. Like that applies to all the work that we ultimately do. And if we believe that, here's what we can do. At the end of the day, we can entrust our work to God and say, you use it, whether I see the results or not. You use it. Probably most of you, uh, all of you, I shouldn't say most of you, all of you are familiar with the printing press and you recognize the name Johannes Gutenberg. And, and the reason for that is because the printing press drastically changed the world, right? It, it made uh, access to the Bible and books in general uh, accessible for everyone because no longer did you just have to be wealthy to buy these. It, it spawned the Renaissance, the Reformation, modern science, and, and the fact that many of us can read today is based in some way on how the printing press started Uh, a revolution. Here's what you might not know. Johannes Gutenberg bankrupted himself in his attempts to print the Bible and essentially died in obscurity thinking that his labor and his life's project was in vain. And it wasn't until after he died that ultimately the printing press grew, had success, and transformed the world. Here's what Dan Doriani says about in his book on work where he shares the story. He says, Gutenberg's story shows that good work may have unseen results. Gutenberg's history encourages us to persevere and take a long view of our work, which often seems futile if viewed myopically. Humans simply cannot detect the results of their efforts. When you work for God and to love and serve others, you can ultimately entrust your work to him and believe he'll use it even if you never see the impact of it, even if you never see the results of it. Like when you use your gifts and your skills and your talents day by day in whatever work you have to do that day, seeking to be faithful to God, to honor him and to love and serve the people who are around you, at the end of the day, and say, all right, God, I trust you to use it. I trust you to use it. And you can clock out. You don't have to keep worrying about it. You don't have to keep working. Like, I entrust this to you, God. You'll use it. Moms, I especially want to say that to you, that as you seek to be faithful to God by honoring him and loving and serving your families day by day by day, especially your kids, albeit very imperfectly, like you can do that and trust God will use my work and ultimately entrust your kids into his hands and believe God will take care of my children. Though day by day, I may feel like I'm doing good or I may feel like I'm doing terrible. I trust that God will ultimately use my work for his glory and for the good of my kids. Here's how Paul says, or here's how God says it through Paul to all of us. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the, Lord, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Listen, whatever you do, your work is not in vain when it's done for God because you can ultimately trust that he's at work through you in that. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for being the one who's made us. We praise you for being the one who works through us. 
God, we, we want to be people who work for your honor and your glory. Whether that's in working around the house, whether that's in going to school, owning a business, farming, caring for patients, whatever it is. God, we, we don't want to be people who just get by, just do it for the sake of doing it, just, just do it for a paycheck, whatever it might be. Like we want to reflect you and to love and serve others. And we recognize that's only possible through you giving us grace day by day by day, through us believing the gospel, through us knowing that the, the work to save us is finished, you'll use our work so we can entrust it to you. God, I, I pray that you'd help us to be people who faithfully work for your glory and who entrust all the results into your hands. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.